0: In this episode, I am talking with Brooklyn Rainey about her new book, One Trusted Adult. In a world facing more shootings, suicides, substance abuse, and sexual violence than ever before, there is more we can do as educators, as parents, and as adults committed to leaving this world better than we found it. Research shows that just one trusted adult can have a profound effect on a child's life influencing that young person toward positive growth, greater engagement in school and community activities, better overall health, and prevention of risky and threatening behaviors. From educators to piano teachers, camp counselors to aunts and uncles, and athletic coaches to babysitters, every adult who encounters a young person holds the privilege of shaping that child's life and also the significant responsibility With news headlines dominated by stories of abuse in schools, camps, and churches, those of us who guide or mentor adolescents must understand how to build trust with young people while simultaneously establishing boundaries that keep the relationship healthy. Packed with real life stories and invaluable tips, one trusted adult inspires all adults to build strong connections embrace sustainable career practices, break the silence around boundary violations and abuse, be present for the young people in their lives, and in doing so, ensure that the young people in their care are growing into their greatest potential. Brooklyn Rainey is an experienced teacher, coach, and administrator who has spent the last decade working in independent schools. She is the founder and director of the Girls Leadership Camp, a group that hosts a one-week summer camp for middle school girls, as well as one-day boosts and leadership conferences. She is also a co-founder of Generation Change, a nonprofit that seeks to embolden youth to be empathic and compassionate change-makers through cross-generational mentorship. Brooklyn is a workshop facilitator, speaker, and consultant for schools, camps, and other youth-serving organizations nationally and internationally. You can find out more about her and her programs at www.onetrustedadult.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Books Network. I am Elizabeth Cronin, a host, for the network. And today I am talking with Brooklyn Rainey about her new book, One Trusted Adult. Thanks for being here,
1: Brooklyn. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So as I was explaining earlier, we like to start the interview by jumping in and asking you to tell us a little bit about why you wrote this book.
1: For me, this mission really began in a school auditorium. So I was a school administrator uh, at a school in New Hampshire And in this auditorium, it was in one month, we had three prevention programs. We had a substance abuse prevention program, a bullying prevention program, and a suicide prevention program. And when you sit through three of these in a row, and they're good programs, they're really important programs, and all three end exactly the same way by saying, if you have a worry or concern, reach out to a trusted adult. Or the greatest protective factor you have is a relationship with a trusted adult, It was really on the third time that it finally hit me between the eyes. Like, if all the prevention programs are saying the same thing, are we focused enough on that thing, that protective factor? Um, Are we showing the young people in our care that that we are these trusted adults? And do they even see us that way? Do they work to see us that way? Or do they just see us as chemistry teachers and (laughs) the principal and the coach? And so I started digging in on that. And realized there's no program out there that really talks to educators about the right kind of relationship that they can be having with their students, not only for teaching and learning, but for mental health and for uh, reaching goals and in all the ways that we show up and support young people. So dug in on it. And it was at the same time that um, a history of, of exploitation and abuse was coming forward. Um, in organization, youth-serving organizations like the Boy Scouts and in the Catholic Church and U.S. Gymnastics. And so there was this push-pull on, yes, we want to show up for other people's children and build relationships because that's important, but also where is the boundary? How, how do we do so in a way that keeps adults and young people safe? And again, I, I looked around for a program to bring into my own school to, to dig into that murky water and, and uh, make sense of that gray area. And I couldn't find one. So I created one for my own staff. And from there, it just grew and grew and grew. And I started speaking at other schools and realized there was a real opportunity here to put words to something that I think is so important for anyone showing up for a young person and for young people. Right. And I know that, you know, you,
0: you address it a little bit in the book, there's often the sense of we're expecting so much from teachers, like on top of everything, do we expect them to have a child's mental health in mind? So maybe you could say something about that.
1: Yeah. And that's exactly, you're hitting right on this, this boundary, right? This healthy boundary we've got to build. Um, my heart goes out to educators, especially over the last three years. (laughs) Um, I, I'm hurting for them I and the, the burnout. And then when one educator burns out and everyone covers, then that burnout is contagious. And um, they're working with young people who are developmentally behind and have been on screens so many hours a day. And um, yeah, so first of all, my heart goes out to educators. This is not work that can only be focused on 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 teachers, right? This is community work. So we're trying to grow this mission far beyond the walls of schools into all community spaces, um, including parents, but how we partner as groups of adults to show up for young people. This is not about asking educators to be mental health professionals, right? That We we wanna give them uh, tools and resources to stay boundaried in that way, but giving them language and strategies and tools for setting up their space where there's trust being built Um, but they're not stepping over the line into pretending or going outside the scope of their expertise. So it's all about building strong connections while maintaining healthy and professional boundaries.
0: Yeah. And you know what might be helpful to illustrate that point? Because, you know, when listeners read the book, or if they've already read it, they'll realize that what you're talking about is just being very intentional and thoughtful about how you're going to interact with these children anyway. Yes. And that, that when you're not intentional, then you're missing an opportunity because, right. So maybe you could give an example. Um, You've got a bunch in the book where a teacher, um, a student had a positive experience with the teacher outside of that teacher's
1: classroom. Yes. We always talk about the work being in the fringes of the work that we're assigned to do. Um, and one of the stories from the book and, and one of the interviews I was able to do was Mrs. O'Neill, an educator from New Hampshire, who uh, taught eighth grade social studies. And she retired after 25 years in the same school. And so she had taught parents and then their children. And so she had seen generations go through and knew all the cousins and, you know, small town and She when she retired, she packed up her things and, you know, kind of looked around thinking there'd be more flowers, (laughs) there'd be a gold watch, there'd be a parade, there'd be some kind of show or some finale, you know, some uh, documented something that said I I did something with my career. I I made an impact like I, I, I did good work here and. You know, she packed up her stuff and her colleagues gave her hugs and it was nice. But she drove out of there, you know, just wondering what what happened? You know, what what have I done over the last 25 years? And she actually drove into uh, Dunkin Donuts (laughs) because that's where we all go after a long day of school. And from behind the bar, a young woman yelled her name, Mrs. O'Neill. It's me, Sarah. And Mrs. O'Neill knew this girl had uh, so many obstacles um, because she knew the family and she knew the substance abuse and early pregnancy and the things that this young woman had overcome to be where she was. And she was so proud to tell Mrs. O'Neill that she was a manager of this Dunkin' Donuts and she had her own car and she had her own apartment and she was on her feet and she was independent. And this was big news. This was so exciting. And she said, Mrs. O'Neill, it's because of you. And Mrs. O'Neill said, My social studies class. Like my curriculum, the work I did, and and Sarah, this young woman, said, "You, you were my social studies teacher." No, it wasn't. So <laughs> she was like, "What else could it have been?" And it turned out there was this moment on the mountain. They were they were climbing a mountain in New Hampshire for their final, you know, eighth grade trip or something. And they're halfway up the mountain, and Sarah said she couldn't go any further, and Mrs. O'Neill said. You know, stop looking at how far you've got left to go and look back at how far you've come. Like your legs got you here, your mind got you here, your heart got you like you got here. And if you got here, you can go anywhere. So celebrate how far you've come and let's just keep going step by step. And they got to the top of the mountain that day. They got back to the car home safely. And this young woman journaled about it. And she had sticky notes up of Mrs. O'Neill's words on her mirror and in her phone. And before going into her Dunkin Donuts interview, she was saying Mrs. O'Neill's words in her head. And the beauty in this story is that Mrs. O'Neill doesn't recall this moment at all. She remembers the hiking trip, but she doesn't remember this moment with Sarah. And so when we interviewed all hundreds of people about their trusted adults and moments that mattered, it was so often in between classes or after the practice or... You know, while cleaning up after dinner with a parent or painting a fence with a grandparent, like all these little mini moments that were between the activity. It was the car ride to the theme park <laughs> or or the concert. And yeah, we're we're out, we're chasing how do we take advantage of these bids for connection that are in the moments that we think are the meaningless moments where we we actually can make the most of them to grow and foster the most connection and be intentional, like you said, that word intentional about how we are accessible. Um, And we found in all these interviews that we can actually categorize the qualities of a trusted adult into three categories, and it's being accessible, it's being boundaried, and it's being caring. And so it beautifully gave us this ABCs (laughs) model, and we show it as three circles overlapping, and it's in the overlap of those qualities where trust is built and where burnout is beat. So where accessible overlaps with healthy boundaries and where caring overlaps with healthy boundaries, again, that's where trust is built and burnout is beat. So when you say burnout, what what do you mean by that? I mean, savior syndrome. One of the reasons I honestly had to step away from education from day to day school was because I wanted to save every young person. I wanted to protect them and shield them. And I was willing to spend my own money and go way over, you know, time um, away from home, you know, from my own home and sacrifice my own self-care and well-being for the young people that I was, um, you know, in charge of educating. And you can burn out if you if you are too accessible 24-7 and you've given out your phone number and you're, you know, always available you will burn out. And if you are so caring that you put other people's care before your own, you will burn out. And that's why those boundaries need to anchor us. The boundaries, again, are for child protection, and they're also for adult protection, because we need every adult to step up and be a trusted adult for a young person, and we need them to be able to do it for the long haul. That's our only hope through the mental health crisis we're facing and and all the other obstacles in the way of youth today. I think in the book you mentioned, you refer to
0: something about someone's research. I don't know if it was Brene Brown or someone did research that that some of the, some of the most
1: caring people are really bound well boundary. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. She talks about the people she, she interviewed the most compassionate were the most boundaried that there was a limit, but when they were showing up, they showed up because they knew that there was a a stopping point, an end point, a rest point. we, we've come to understand that boundaries, being able to set and reset and maintain boundaries comes down to your awareness, your wellness, and your willingness. So an awareness and an attunement to your environment and the expectations of that environment and an attunement to yourself, your wellness, your sleep, your vitamins, your exercise, your, your mental health all have a huge impact on your ability to uphold those boundaries and your willingness to have conversations about it, your willingness to receive feedback, your willingness to hear from a colleague who says, you know, that relationship seems a little off with that student, or you seem to be working and burning it at both ends. Like what what can I do to support you? Um, A willingness to engage in conversations about boundaries is a preventer for the breakdown of those boundaries. And
0: that's another challenge to the work because you sort of explain and you acknowledge and explain that sometimes or at least when you were you know administrator or dean of students you would set these trainings up to to look at boundaries and to and to look at to deal with some of these issues and I think at one point you said one teacher was like oh my gosh I've been teaching for 20 years you know I know how to interact with kids Mm -hmm. and maybe you could say a little bit more about that because the boundary issue is so protective
1: it is and and Honestly, in most um, education settings and youth-serving settings, they're, the boundary training is just a litany of forbidden practices. They just hammer you with all the things that you shouldn't do. And I had one educator share with me the only boundary training she got was, be mean until Halloween. <laughs> just, just put on the stern face and don't even look to connect. Um, and that's just so unhealthy. Even, you know, since writing the book, in the book I talk about Toulouse- too rigid and sort of just right. And I think, you know, the, the further we do research, the more complex it is and the more time we need to spend on these conversations. We actually break it down now in a four part sustainable safeguarding framework. And we use walls and fences as, uh, as an analogy uh, or a metaphor. And we talk about brick wall boundaries, those being the unmovable, non negotiable, the law, like mandated reporting responsibilities. We talk about chain link fence boundaries which are the added obligation when you're working with other people's children so maybe the parents and the grandparents and guardians couldn't go through the gate in that fence Um, but when you're in a professional role or even a volunteer mentor role you're on the other side of that there's certain things that you can't say or can't do with someone else's child and then we have the baby gate boundaries which adjust as we trust just like a a baby grows up and we move that gate as we can trust they can handle the stairs or the things on the coffee table. We can move this baby gate uh, based on our our relationship with the young person. And then the invisible fence, which are the social norms that we agree to, maybe consciously, maybe unconsciously, about how we're gonna live and operate together in a space. Um, In the invisible fence, we talk about what we mandate what we tolerate, what we evaluate, and what we celebrate become what we perpetuate. So whether we talk about it or not, there's these invisible agreements that we have about our space. And a lot of the work we do right now is help youth serving organizations and schools uncover those things and talk about those things. Are the messages young people are getting from our bulletin boards or our announcements or you know what we choose to cover in our curriculum, are those hidden messages what we want them to get or not? Let's Let's dig in and talk about it.
0: Right, And listening to you, I'm immediately thinking of the long history of really highlighting and celebrating uh, athletics., yes. and you know, you talk about how do we how do we celebrate and talk about and encourage mm-hmm. all kinds of activities?
1: absolutely, yeah, we we like to talk about self-esteem buckets, <laughs> so, I was an athlete. I played ice hockey and I had many trusted adults growing like once I started doing this work through an adult lens to look back on my own life. I had so many I, I I lived in a small town grandparents, you know, one block that way. Other grandparents one block the other way aunts, uncles, a school secretary, lifeguards, coaches like I was surrounded. So by the time I became a school administrator and was sitting down to have pretty tough conversations with youth and saying, is there an adult you can bring with you to this meeting, a trusted adult that you know can support you through this? And they say, no, it was striking to me. I, it was like, I, I couldn't actually believe that there were so many young people at my own school who could not name a trusted adult within our walls. And and it broke my heart because I, I knew the important role that they played in my life growing up. Um, but I'm so sorry. <laughs> I went off on a tangent and I missed, a, can you,
0: what was just, the question? So was? I
1: was just saying that, you know,
0: how do we celebrate a variety of things?
1: Yeah. So we talk about self-esteem buckets okay. and, and asking educators and parents, even in community, you know, even parents, it's like, what messages are you sending to your own children about what gets celebrated? What matters, what's important. And so self-esteem buckets, we talk about, our self-esteem in terms of pennies like if you have hundreds of self-esteem pennies where are you going to put them in what buckets and helping young people see that they're more than just one thing um, is so crucial to upholding and protecting their self-worth so if i put all those pennies in my ice hockey goalie bucket and i have a really bad game one day the bottom falls out of that bucket and i begin to question my self-worth And I, through adult eyes, I can look back and think that is so ridiculous because I let some pucks in a net. I'm going to question like whether or not I belong on this earth or I can contribute anything to my community or family. But it was a real feeling. It was a real feeling. So having trusted adults who can say, but Brooke, you're also, you know, a hiker and a babysitter and you play softball and you're really interested in theater and you're an amazing sister like to spread out these self-esteem pennies into multiple buckets can protect the self-worth of young people but but a young person can't do that alone it is about what the trusted adults around them celebrate and pay attention to
0: yes and so it's making me think of another story that you share in the in the book and the stories are great in the book it just it takes material that can be Feel a little heavy and makes it just lightens it up and makes it makes you understand and connect with how it shows up for 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 real students and and real adults. Um, but I'm thinking of the story when, you know, as you're talking about an athlete, there was a, a girl that I think she was living in a, the dorm with you or something. But in any case, she was she'd made like the varsity team for something, and then I, I think what you're talking about is. And maybe you could share that story. There was just this pressure on her that now I'm a, you know, a varsity athlete. I need to be a varsity athlete on every team. Yes. And, and you kind of helped
1: her, and it's a beautiful example of how you helped her too. If you want to share a little bit of that story, you're so right. That story is directly connected to what we're talking about in in terms of self worth because this was a a freshman student. So it was a boarding school I was at at this at this point, and which meant I was a dorm parent, and an advisor, and an administrator, and a teacher and students lived in you know, the house that I, that I oversaw. And um, a young woman showed up on my doorstep sobbing and looking for some help and support. And so I invited her in and made her a grilled cheese because that's <laughs> one thing we know, <laughs> crying kid, food can help. <laughs> and um, I just started asking her some questions about what was going on. And she shared that she had been cut from the varsity lacrosse team. And what I knew through, again, adult eyes was that she had played varsity soccer because she's a very good soccer player. She had made the varsity basketball team because we had a very bad basketball team. (laughs) And now in her head, her self-esteem and self-worth is tied up in being this three-sport varsity athlete. So now she's going out for the lacrosse team and she's going to make it because that is who she is. And she doesn't make it. And so this whole image she had built up and identity she had built up for herself crumbled. And she had never played the cross before. <laughs> she had just got a stick and, and cleats and was going out there to give it her all. But she fully expected to make that team. And I knew from experience, I had an amazing counselor I worked with who said, questions, not answers, questions, not answers. If you try to tell, they will <laughs> leave it there and they will keep looking for someone else who's going to help them get there. If you just tell them how to feel... They're not just going to, you know, I, I feel like I've had so much experience in this world and they're a bucket to fill and I'm just, a, you know, I'm going to pour in all this knowledge so they never have to feel the hurt or pain or disappointment I felt. And that is not the case, right? We, you know, thoughtful questions go so much further in parenting, mentoring, educating. And that goes for adult to young person and adult to adult, right? We, questions are so much more powerful. And so I just started asking her simple questions like, why was this important to you? You know, what were your expectations now that your expectations aren't met? What do you foresee happening next? And do you want to talk about what went wrong at the at the tryout? Or do you want to talk about what you'll do different next time? Or, you know, asking, what do you want to talk about? How can I help? Um, And empathizing and with. A few, just a few questions. She got to a place all on her own while eating grilled cheese, <laughs> where she said, "You know, Mrs. Rainey, I actually have never played lacrosse before, and maybe playing JV will be good for me, and I could be a leader on the team, and and I'll have a little bit more free time." And and she got to a place that I could have told her in two minutes everything she said to me, but twenty minutes later, and a couple grilled cheese, she got to this place feeling like she got there on her own. And her final statement to me was, I guess I didn't need you after all, Mrs. Rainey, and walked out. And <laughs> I just chuckled to myself because I think the best work we do is completely invisible. Uh, just like Mrs. O'Neill, you know, it, the best work we're doing is, is attention, it's presence, it's playfulness, it's good question asking, and young people will find their way to where they need to get, and, and they won't even know we helped them get there.
0: Yeah, it just makes me think of, you know, my work as a psychologist and in particular working with, you know, initially working with children and then working a lot with the, with their parents, just trying to encourage adults to just stay with whatever the child is telling you and to just be curious right. and make space for them to just express their feelings. Because in, in that story there, you know, what you did was you just you allowed her to figure out what kind of meaning she could make of that experience. Absolutely. And I think what's interesting is you some of these things are just, they're actually really skills that a lot of adults don't have. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of goes back to, again, you know, trainings and it, it kind of goes back to like, we all have to be in this together that it's, it's beyond what, you know, it's not, we shouldn't just expect this of teachers. We need to, we need, adults to adjust to the changes in the culture and to the needs of kids. And, and one of them is, you know, taking that new, new approach.
1: Yes, absolutely. And one way that we're tackling this is a, is a new framework since the book and it's called the four C's. And as we interviewed again, so many trusted adults and Young people who are naming them as trusted adults and identifying what are the qualities, what are the traits, how does this, you know, connection happen? What can we do to help foster that connection? We found that trusted adults, and I think, you know, replace that with parent, guardian, mentor, grandparent, you, you name it, they lean towards being a cheerleader, a challenger, a comforter, or a coach. So these are our four C's cheerleader, challenger, comforter, and coach. And young people need all four. They 100% need that developmental diversity. They need all four in their corner. But what happens is I can't be all four of those things at once. Like when my son gets in the car after football practice and he's complaining about, you know, how mean his coach was and my natural go-to mode with him. And I know this now, like through this research and through creating an assessment for others, I did my own self-assessment. I always go into challenging mode. I immediately say, well, you know, did you get there on time? Did you have what you needed? Why do you think he, you know, and I challenge. And the beauty is my husband is more of a comforter. So by the time we get home on that ride, that 20 minute drive home, and then he, you know, he's been challenged by me. He walks in and my husband says, oh man, like I remember those days in football. Like, tell me how you're feeling. And then by morning he needs a little cheerleading to like, hey, you you got it today, it's gonna be different, (laughs) right? And then some coaching on what are some steps you can take with. So we're, we're talking about how do we intentionally partner, parent, coach, educator, every adult in a young person's corner. How do we ensure that they have those four C's? And then how do I know as the adult, like my natural leaning is to go this way, but what does this young person need right now? And can I shift? And I, I, again, I worked with this amazing counselor and we, if I was challenging a young person because they had been an infraction or violation of a school rule, I could shoot her a message and say, can you swing by and cheerlead? And so she'd come in, she would know exactly, it was just like a heads up on what was needed, what mode was needed. If she was comforting because, you know, a young person had lost their dog and they didn't want to go to class and she had comforted through two periods and it was time for that young person to like get back on the horse and get back to class, you could text me and say, can you swing by and coach? Like I've gained ground in the comforting mode, but I need a little help to give a nudge. And this peanut butter jelly approach was so effective because we were able to talk about it. We had common shared language. We could say what we needed and what the young person needed and then show up and do that work together. And I'm looking to empower all adults in young people's life to have that language and to talk through all these situations. Um, And we were working on another tool to actually identify what mode a young person needs in each moment. And that's not ready to be unveiled yet. But this four C's testing it out so far has been incredibly empowering.
2: slash nbn50 to get 50% off.
0: Wow. And how, or, or maybe you could say something about how the adults that you've been testing things out with, like some of their reactions and have they been surprised by certain aspects or what that's looked like?
1: What has been most fun is, so we created a quiz where you walk through scenarios and you say what your first natural reaction would be to a scenario with a young person. And so it, it shows you, you know, like, of the time you lean towards this, and 20% of the time you lean towards that. And then we have them actually go to the corners of the room. So cheerleaders over there, challengers over there, comforters, coaches, and they work through these questions. And the questions are: you know, what is a young person, what are the positives a young person receives um, from someone who's in your mode? What are the negatives? if you go too far in that mode, if you overcomfort, if you over challenge, if you like every one of them has a dark shadow side. And so they name them. And then they talk about how would I like to be held accountable by, by my colleagues, if I've gone too far. And so these are all proactive, preventative conversations, again, that and but what is so funny is that they didn't need the quiz, like one educator in a building could say, you're a cheerleader over there, a comforter over there, like we already have these identities within schools and within other youth-serving organizations. We have those identities. <laughs> we know, we everybody knows our natural leaning, but it's fascinating to put words to it and then talk about it and why it's so important why we need each other. So you go to the challenging corner and those are the they're like, finally we feel validated. Like we're not the mean ones. We're not the tough ones. We're pushing, we're challenging because we believe in the potential of that child. Right? And we're gonna hold them accountable because that's important. I go over to the cheerleading and they're just like, they're creating cheers and they're, the energy and the positive vibes. I mean, you can feel it. The comforters are all making sure everyone hears and is spoken and is named and is valued. <laughs> it's it's fascinating. And it, it again, I say the word empowering because when you give language to something, we can use it then. It's not this invisible fence. It's not this unspoken thing. It, like we're, we're giving it language which gives it power and we can use it as a tool. That's so cool.
0: So I'm interested now because when you reference this initially, you were saying in in terms of your son, you go to like the challenger that's often where you go. And I totally, as a, as a mom myself, I can relate to that. Like, oh, well, did you bring this? Did you, you know, immediately going on the other hand, though, you, you also talked about sort of having that savior syndrome, which I tend to associate that with the way you were describing the comforters, which is like taking care of everybody. Is everybody good? You know what I mean? Trying to make sure everybody's needs are met, that kind of thing. And so I'm just kind of wondering, do you feel like maybe we show up differently as a parent than we sometimes do in our work?
1: 100%. 100%. I was doing a training with them. It was like, it was the Girl Scout troop leaders of Shanghai. So they were in China. We're on, and we're going through this on Zoom. And one of the women was like timeout timeout like i need to stop this train like we we got to dig in on something and she talked. she said exactly that she's like i think i'm this way at home and this way in my she ran an after-school program like completely different trusted adult for my kids and other people's children and i said yep keep talking and then someone else chimed in and said I think I'm completely different from my son to my daughter. Like, what is that about? <laughs> and so I can't tell them what that's about. You know, I'm, I'm not a psychologist who's going to dig in in a Zoom session in a group. But we start, you know, giving people, prompting people to unpack that for themselves. What is it about our, you know, the stereotypes we've got in our head or the, you know, um, what we're presuming to know about this young person or the boundaries of our relationship as a parent or, you know, an outside adult? Um and I personally i'm I'm very different at home than I am with other people's kids and I'm hoping well, I know for a fact that other adults fill in for my son right I've got to make space for those other adults for him we were he's he was just learning to drive um which is an interesting time <laughs> it's a scary time to be a parent and- I still remember it when it, the whole struggles like is the car
0: in the center of the road? (laughs) Like, it's the only time I ever, like, really can remember that. It's like, when you first drive, because
1: you're on the left. So yes, that brings fun memories to mind. 100%. The invisible brake I'm hitting on my saw on the passenger side. Um, But he came home and he was just bummed one night. I, you know, there was, and I went into mom mode, like, can I cook you something? And I'm asking questions. And food 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 <laughs> what grilled cheese grilled cheese Not grilled cheese. yeah there's some mac and cheese always cheese and there was he's like I'm just sad which as a mom you're like oh I want to fix it I want to fix it I want to fix it right now how can I help and I was like is there anything you want to watch a movie he's like no I'm just gonna go to bed okay and he didn't share much and then the next morning I'm like is there anything I can do how are you feeling he's like I'm still bummed and I but I know driving like do you want to go for a drive? And he agreed to do that. Yes, I, I'll go for a drive. And hope I was hoping that would lift his spirits. And I'm guessing at all these things. You know, I'm just guessing and guessing. And we pull in to get gas. And he gets out of the car and he's filling up. And from across the parking lot, someone yells his name. And I'm like peeking around like, who could it be? And it's this adult that I don't know. And Landon, my son, lights up. Like he just his eyes went up, his shoulder, like his head went up and, oh man. And it was, um, somebody he worked with last summer at his summer job. And this adult was just like, we miss you. It's not the same without you. We, you know, we need more music recommendations. You always brought brought the best playlist. And I'm overhearing this conversation of, to me, a complete stranger talking to my 16 year old son and doing something in two minute, in a two minute interaction that I couldn't do for my child. I couldn't, make him feel that sense of belonging in this moment. I couldn't make him feel like he was contributing. I I just, I was at a loss as a parent. And this adult having no idea, you know, the woman in the car runs trusted adult trainings, (laughs) had this trusted adult moment. And he's a guy that works at a dock, he puts in docks, you know, on a lake, like he, I'm sure was not intentionally looking to meet the needs of youth. He was just being a great guy who cared about a young person in the moment. And cared enough to say hi and that we missed you. And a different 16-year-old got in that car. A totally changed 16-year-old, mm-hmm. eyes brighter, head up. It was it was incredible. So again, those fringe moments, right? Where like this is where we've got a partner, uh, parents have to lean into being trusted adults for their children but also make space for outside trusted adults and community members and educators and youth serving professionals have got to put that hat on first. How can I show up and and build trust and connection with every young person I encounter? Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's another sort of Mrs. O'Neill type story
1: where you know he goes on with
0: his day and doesn't even realize that he just, you know, really changed your son's whole mood. Yes. Really cool. So another thing that I think about though is that um some of the things that I think you bring to a to the attention in the book are that we do wouldn't have to make some shifts. You talk about some of the, you know, the pressures and the effects of social media and things like that. And, and also how someone like yourself can be trying to do things a little bit differently and still struggle. And uh, to make it more concrete, I think of you talking about how the adults that interact with our children do have an effect on them and, you share a story about taking your son to the barber and he's getting, you're trying to give him some autonomy and let him do his thing. But what I thought was interesting about that story was that at some point, even as you were trying to do what research shows can be better for the kids, you still, and I'll let you tell the, the story, you still got to this place where you're like, well, am I not doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Right which I think teachers and parents often get that feeling like I'm you know I'm trying to do what I think is best but
1: is this really and then you get that's that feeling of doubt yes absolutely and I think we're, we're so used to instant gratification and instant feedback from social media and this like I play the game and I get the score or I post the photo and I get the hearts and the likes or the what it's just so fast that we can forget we, there's no immediate feedback in working with youth it's planting seeds for 10 years from now, 15 years from now and actually the only way to know that, you, that you've done it well is you get those letters 5 years from now 10 years from now, 20 years from now right? Mrs. O'Neill has that moment after she's retired and a lot of what we do we will never know you'll never know it, it's so selfless is the only way I can describe it to you know, educators pour themselves into these youth and and may never hear.
0: Well, I think you spoke to this earlier when you said that, you know, when this girl showed up on your doorstep and she's sobbing, there's in that moment, what you want to do, which now I'm, I've listened to you now, I'm realizing like, okay, you want to challenge, or maybe you want to cheerlead or whatever. but there's also space to just like, just stop and and be curious. So maybe you can add curiosity to your list yes. of C's. That's a big one for me because I'm, I'm as a mindfulness meditation person, I thought like curiosity, making space for that because, you know, I, it's it's just allowing the the person to get the experience of feeling really heard and accepted. And yeah, yeah
1: we important. We created the the acronym Basics, which is just a simple reminder to get us all back to the basics when when engaging with youth and assessing the spaces we set up for youth and that is we're seeking to to build belonging and membership ability to contribute safety and structure independence and control competence and mastery and s s S. (laughs) i know it's connection (laughs) It's self awareness and connection. And we use that as a framework um, for assessing spaces and assessing self. And it's not about me meeting a need for a young person, but setting up a space where a young person can get that need met. Um, I love to tell a story that is not in the book about my father, actually, who's grandfather to my son. And he was visiting one weekend from Canada. He had come down to New Hampshire. And I was supposed to, I was headed off to do a trusted adult training and talk about youth needs. And here I was leaving my son with uh, his grandfather, who's awesome. And, you know, me, I I set up activity, I set up all kinds of ways to foster connection between the two of them so that they don't just end up in two separate rooms on different devices and not interacting. And so my son had received this. weather station you know a household weather station that he wanted to put up on the roof and I was like perfect I saved it for the moment when grandpa Jair was visiting and they'd put this thing up together and they'd figure it out together and it would be great and we're always a big thing at OTA we always say with not for with not for like when in doubt with not for always working with young people not working for them but I had not educated my father yet on the, <laughs> and he's a great again he's a wonderful parent and he's a wonderful grandparent but he wakes up at five in the morning and my, you know, then 13 year old son wakes up at noon-ish, maybe, if we're lucky, on a Saturday. And my father went ahead and, you know, because I had left a note, like, great thing for you to do would get this weather station up. And my father, because he was twiddling his thumbs, thought he was helping by going and putting the weather station on the house. And so when my son rolls out of bed at noon and says, you know, Grandpa Jerry, are you ready to put up the weather station? And Grandpa Jair says, already up, bud. Like, it already did it. It was deflation. Like, you, what? You already did it? Like, the point. And so I, when you think about the basics, like, how many moments, like, ability to contribute, competence and mastery, self-awareness and connection, like, so independence and control, like, many of these youth needs could have been hit with, through this event, through this, and they were just missed, And we know that when young people don't get their needs met in healthy ways, they're going to seek unhealthy ways, right? If I don't feel a sense of belonging in the chess team or the theater club or soccer, I may find it instead in an unhealthy online space or the kids that vape in the bathroom, you know, during C period. Like I can, I will get my need met. I will seek to get my need met. How I do it there's risky ways and there's healthy ways and trusted adults can do a lot to set up healthy ways that young people can get those needs met yeah and maybe this would be
0: um maybe this will be a segue into you um sharing a little bit about the work that you're doing now but before we end um I'm gonna go back it looks like so much to talk about here that I feel like you and I keep going off on tangents but you're talking about your dad made me think again about the, about the story about going to the barber shop because your dad and you know my parents and all of us again kind of like being the cheerleader or the challenger we all have our own personal history mm-hmm. where we have our own idea in our head of like what would be helpful right now right and <clears throat> I'm just laughing because I'm I'm just thinking okay you're in the book you talk about your dad is having been military i think because and I want you to tell the story about your son at the barbershop just because i think it's i think it's just a great story about how you are trying to give your your son an opportunity to be a little more autonomous to have some say about his haircut yes. and and i'll let you tell how the barbers is responding to that yes. and then i think it's funny because then after you end up making a great effort to try to let your son be in charge of his haircut you talk about then until we go see my dad and my dad's just gonna buzz cut his hair like the military style or whatever my
1: my father-in-law that's my father oh your father-in-law oh okay (laughs) okay so maybe you could tell
0: us about that and then it can you can tell us about how because this this is what so one of the first things I said to you before we started recording is like wait a minute this book is like written about teachers and the the you know academic settings and how trusted adults need to be there in those settings because kids spend so much time there. Exactly. But I was saying to you, but you know, you, you bring in all these other stories about, you know, I, I think even like one, you talked about one girl who said, oh, it didn't really matter where my parents were saying it that it, during her adolescence, it was really about the aunts that live down the street. So there's all of these dynamics and, um, but I really liked the Barbara one, because I liked that you were trying to give him access to sort of the basics that you outlined. Yeah, exactly and, right. and it wasn't feeling, it, it, it kept feeling to you like, wait a minute, am I not doing this right? Right.
1: <laughs> it was right when I was writing this section of the book about universal youth needs. And so continually self-assessing, you know, with my own parenting and setting up spaces for my own son to get these needs met. And I was looking you know every in restaurants letting him order for himself you know choosing clothes like where can the choice be his and it you know for instance brushing teeth not that's not negotiable like that's we're not gonna have a discussion there that's a requirement cutting hair i really don't care like that's a place i can step back and say you know this is yours Um, So I think we're constantly negotiating that as parents. And I think it's really important we're doing that so that they have exactly, like you said, autonomy, independence, control, they get that need met. So we walked into the barber shop and I had given him the money and I wasn't even, I was going to sit in the car and just like let him go. And he came back to the car and said, I can't be in there without an adult. And so of course I'm like, okay, yeah, I study boundaries too. Maybe this, you know, okay, let's, I'll go in and I'll do a little work in the corner. but I." Again, really want him to do this. I've sent him into grocery stores. Like, I want him to have this experience on his own. And the barber looks at me and says, you know, how do you want his haircut?" And I said, oh, he'll he'll let you know. And my son shares with him how he wants his haircut. And then the barber looks back and he goes, okay, do you want it parted to the left or the right? And I, again, I said, I, you know, totally up to him. And I, I almost felt rude, like, shutting down this barber. But I was really trying to send a message, like, you know his head, his hair. He's got it. I'll be. I'm here, but I'm not really here. Like, just talk to him. And the barber couldn't let go. And and I do wonder. Like you said, everyone has their own history and experiences. And he's probably been yelled at by parents. He's probably gotten bad reviews by parents because he didn't do exactly as the parent said. So I, I'm no fault to the barber, but simply like where our world has gone, our society has gone. Um, in in parents having so much control and like, you know, our our status as parents or our place in society being, you know, how our child does in sports or how they look or how they appear, like it's just it's really sad and it's so much pressure on on the child. So I I rebel against that. I push against that. And he is his own being. And he got he finally got his hair cut the way he wanted. And and it was beautiful when the barber asked me, you know, told me the price and my son turned around and handed him a 20 and said keep the change <laughs> and we walked out of there and and just chatted about why the resistance to allowing a young person to have have voice um so yeah there's those those moments that i think we've we've got to use to meet those needs otherwise again like i said they'll, they'll find ways to meet them in ways we don't support or or worry about yeah
0: yeah no i just think that's that's so interesting because you're right. I mean, the, the the barber might have been yelled at by parents who, who are being very rigid and, you know, and not, and wanting to control something that it's not really necessary to be controlling at that point. Um, but if a parent, in lieu of a parent being rigid, you're being loose and trying to let him, then the barber becomes rigid. And, you know, so it's just, it, it does speak to like, you know, there's so much having to do with, our own personal history. And I I like that you've emphasized over and over again that you're trying to give adults language um, and information that they can understand, you know, children better. Um, Such a, such a big opportunity here for everyone. And again, maybe, you know, before we, we wrap things up, you could just say a little bit about how this has led you to think like that these are more this is, these are lessons
1: for all adults, barbers and everybody. Yes. Well, we, my work obviously comes out of education, um, but the book is full of lots of parenting stories because they are so applicable. And since then, um, foster youth and foster parents, juvenile justice, um, all kinds of clubs and mentoring groups. We've heard different organizations coming to us and saying, could you work with our staff? Could you work with our staff? Can you work with our youth? Um, I was just down at the 4-H conference in in D.C. and had amazing conversations with those young people and the adults who show up for them um, in in closing this gap. There's a gap right now in schools. On the low end, eight percent of students can name a trusted adult within the community, and on the high end, I'm seeing fifty to sixty percent. And of the fifty and sixty percent, what's fascinating is that most students name the same few adults. So in youth serving spaces, in educational, it's the counselors and it's the charismatic that get named over and over and over. And I know there's more adults that can do this work. And they, so I'm trying to build capacity in adults and encourage a commitment from them to show up and do this work. And in young people, I'm showing, I'm trying to provide clarity on what those trusted adults look like. Uh, We use common language like the ABCs we talk about with youth, accessible, boundary, and caring. We talk about the four C's with youth. Like the challenger could be a trusted adult too. The coach could be a trusted, you know, the comforter, the cheerleader, here's what to look for. Here's where it's gone too far. We try to use youth friendly language so that we're all on the same page about what this relationship means and how we can benefit young people the most. Um, so we have, yeah, we're, we're spreading out uh, into all different kinds of youth serving spaces. Um, leading research right now shows that if a young person can name a trusted adult at home and outside of the home, they're less likely to suffer from depression, less likely to suffer from uh, substance abuse, and less likely to bully or be bullied. And they're more likely to remain calm in the face of challenges, um, to develop resilience, handle stress, engage in activities, and be available for learning. There is huge benefit if we go upstream from the problems and the negative behaviors, we go upstream and refocus on connection and healthy relationships, adult to young person and peer to peer. So we've got um, an e-course coming out. There's one specifically for educators, one specifically for parents, and one for mentors and youth serving professionals. And it includes all of what we've talked about today and so much more um, and really tangible tools. I I don't know about you, but if I do a training, I want to know there's something I can take with me to use and put into practice tomorrow. So um, I am a practitioner <laughs> through and through. And so I research now and I run trainings now, but it's all about what can the practitioner take back to their space, their community, their relationships, and, and do positive work with. Um, so I would encourage everyone to check out our website, onetrustedadult.com. You can buy the book. Uh, We have something called Ripple Journals for Middle Schoolers, and schools are using it as an advisory curriculum, um, peer mentoring program. They're using it in summer camps. They're using it in one-on-one mentoring programs. It's a tool to connect middle schoolers to uh, trusted adults. We also have Branch Out coming out as a high school advisory program. Again, the e-course, something called Operation OTA, We are just building tool after tool to help uh, support all adults uh, on this mission, and and we're hoping everyone will join us. That's great. So the website's onetrustedadult.com? Yes. And if you sign up for our newsletter, we actually send out um, activities and and a blog with information and topics every month. Um, But again, really specific activities you can use at the kitchen table or in the classroom. Yes. I, I just can't highlight enough that I
0: really do think that it's supporting adults, um, in the development of some skills that again, if someone's rigid, then it's becoming flexible is actually a skill they have to learn how to be that way, how to think differently, how to shift from one point of view to another. And, and so I love all the specific, um, tools that
1: you're creating and yeah and I, I like to believe you know we are experts on youth but the the parents the guardians the educator like they're the experts on their youth so we're going to offer tools and ideas and strategies to try and and you get to decide will this work and be applicable in my space with my kids or not like you get pick it up try it out <laughs> come back to me tell me it worked or it didn't let's keep developing it and let's keep a focus on uh, connection tools Awesome, awesome. Great book, such wonderful work. And I look
0: forward to checking out your e-courses and what's next for you.
1: Amazing, thank you so much.
2: Okay, round two, name something that's not boring